for our communion meditation, we are in uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, and I'll read verses 9 through 14. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the majesty of your word and that all of these words not only are beautiful, but they have ultimate meaning, that they are uh, true and trustworthy. We ask you now to open up our minds that we would uh, understand what your Holy Spirit would lead us into, a deeper understanding of you and of the great gift that you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. The first message a few weeks ago was entitled, Caring Enough to Write. And I could have entitled this message, Caring Enough to Pray. So in other words, Paul is writing to these folks, and yet in his writing to them, he's reminding them that they're always on his heart and mind, that he does not forget them. And it's convicting to read this, because how often have I forgotten to pray, forgotten even what people are going through, and then later really lacking even the uh, humility to admit that and instead just kind of muddling through uh, an attempt at papering over my forgetfulness. And Paul was not like that. He was very diligent in his walk and he is caring enough to write, he's caring enough to pray. And I wanna cover four points here these specific things that he's praying for them. And let me first summarize them. Verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 introduce each one and then expand upon it. So in verse 9, be filled with the knowledge of his will. So he's praying that these Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for them. Verse 10, walk worthy of the Lord. And so don't just know it, do it. Verse 11, that they would be strengthened with all might. And here, obviously, you need courage. They are going to be attacked. They're going to be made lightning rods for the abuse of the world that hates God, and he wants them to be prepared for that. And verse 12, give thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. And so, in other words, despite all that we go through, uh, remember that regardless of whatever discomforts we face in this world, life is worth living only because God exists and because he loves us and he's there for us. And so we give him thanks for life and we give him thanks for his presence with us. So I want to dig a, bit, a little bit more into each one of those just a little bit. And so in verse 9, it was be filled with the knowledge of his will. 
And he talks about in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So wisdom, knowing what it is to make wise choices and then spiritual understanding, it's not about world. It's not about how the world works. It's about how God works and wants us to work. And so we do not use the tools of this world. We use the tools God wants us to use from his word. And so verse 10, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then here again, this is knowledge, but it's different. Earlier, it was the knowledge of God's will for us. Now it's the knowledge of God himself. How do you become knowledgeable of someone? You talk to them. And so for us to walk worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing to him and to be fruitful and to increase in the knowledge of him is to talk to him. And so we must pray, we must read his word to accomplish that goal. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. In other words, it's not an earthly strength that you're trying to put on, it's a godly strength. According to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with what? patience and long-suffering with joy. So see, I think the church kind of tends to master, and, and it is really a way that many people view the church or people like this. We might be patient and long-suffering, but it's certainly not a joyful patience and long-suffering. And so the word martyr has even come to denote that. When we say that people have a martyr attitude, they're drawing attention to themselves. Woe is me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've had to endure. All for you. And so they're trying to guilt people. That's not what a true martyr is at all. And it's sad that such a noble, such a word that should be infused with not horror, but such sacrifice for God would have that negative connotation in our society. But it does. And it does for a reason. There's a lot of legitimacy to that. And so... We are to be strengthened with all might and enduring uh, with patience and long-suffering, but always, always, always with joy. Without that joy, all of your sacrifice, all of your patience and long-suffering is negated. It really amounts to nothing. And then lastly, in verse 12, uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. He has qualified us, not we ourselves. And when we as elders may take a role in that qualifying, are you a member in good standing, that type of thing. It's only using God's wisdom, God's guidelines, his directions to that end. It's certainly not our uh, role. It's, it's in our being a vice regent for God that we do that. It's not vested in us, it's vested in God. And then we go on to verse 13. And this is just so majestic. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. As the slaves in Egypt awaited salvation, awaited rescue and deliverance, they were living in bondage. They were living as slaves and they longed for freedom. Any slave longs for freedom, especially when they're abused slaves. They're not privileged slaves. And even privileged slaves 
often long for their freedom, sometimes even more acutely than those that are being abused in the field because they're close enough to see freedom, to know freedom. They just don't experience it for themselves. They're only watching other people benefit from the joy of that freedom. And yet what's really funny about this, what's odd about this is when the salvation came to the Jews, they really didn't recognize it. That's why they perished in the wilderness. They thought it was physical freedom from their captors that they sought. And they wanted too little. They sought too little. What they really had going for them was God freeing them, not only from the Egyptians, but from sin. Drawing them close to himself and promising to make them righteous. And they did not really want that. They didn't value that. And do we likewise sometimes really not value what true salvation is about? It's not salvation such that we would, can be with God in heaven and avoid pain. We all want to avoid pain, that's natural. But yet what we should value is the fact that we have a restored relationship with God the Father. That's the joy. That's the message that the Jews missed. And too often we as Christians can even really not remember that. We forget too easily. And then the second portion, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Note this whole uh, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It's all past tense. He has delivered us. He has conveyed us. It's done. That's why He's qualified us. We can't qualify ourselves. He qualified us. And even when we come to partake of this table, it's God that's qualified us. We, in our own nature, our fallen nature, are unqualified. God qualifies us. Does that mean that the sins that we commit in the week past disqualify us from coming to God's table? Many have that aberrant view that they have the responsibility not only to uh, indulge in self-reflection, which we expect, but to deem that that self-reflection has resulted in, oh, nope, I didn't pass this week. I don't get to partake. It's not in your power to disqualify yourself from the Lord's table. So your choice, when you self-reflect and you feel that you've come up wanting, I've not been indulging and embracing God's grace in the past week. I don't care that I've sinned. I've hardened myself into sin. You will partake of this table and you will either drink grace to yourself or drink condemnation to yourself if you persist in wanting sin more than wanting God. So your right standing with the church and your entrance into God's covenant through baptism is what God uses to qualify you for this. And so outwardly, all of us that are in that state have been baptized and are, and are members in good standing of a church are qualified to come to this table. God expects it and he requires it. And so that's what we encourage you to do, to come to this table. He's qualified us to be partakers and God will then pour out his grace in your life, especially to those that are repentant, especially to those that are seeking him. But if you're lost in sin in the weak 
behind and you feel guilty about coming to the table, you should feel guilty about coming to the table. And yet seek help, seek guidance, seek God, seek uh, a friend or an elder or a parent or anybody that can help you overcome sin in this world. So this is a celebration of our deliverance from the power of darkness. It's a celebration of the fact that we've been conveyed into the marvelous light of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, which is just so mysterious at times and yet so beautifully majestic. And it conveys more truth than at times we're willing to believe. And so we impute our own faulty understanding to it. And yet we pray, Lord, that you would rebuke us for this, that you would correct our our misunderstandings, that we would recognize that you are all-powerful and that what you have qualified, man cannot disqualify. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your grace into our lives, that you would convict us of sins and cause us to want to come before you, as Paul urges us in this text, to be walking worthily of you, to enter into your presence with joy, with happiness, So we ask you now, Lord, to enter into our hearts, enter into our midst, and we thank you, Father, for your uh, opening and welcoming arms to that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.